Telemetry recovered. Don't forget, this podcast is sponsored by Radio C, number one for all your drone-related needs. Pay them a visit at radioc.co.uk and use the promo code LDO for 5% off your order and free shipping on orders over £80. Hello and welcome to Let's Drone Out. How are you guys doing? And uh, we are joined by, actually, uh, Frank, can you do the intro? Yeah, introduce so everyone. this week we've got on Chris White, who's an embedded engineer, so deals with all the lovely chips and boards and interfaces day-to-day, but also works on the Embedded.fm podcast, which is very, you know, very interesting as far as I'm concerned, and there's a lot of interesting people, like makers, educators, artists and engineers, talking about those chips and boards and interfaces. Uh, and Chris recently was talking on the podcast about how he'd recently got back into the RC hobby. So I thought it would be interesting to hear how it's been for him, you know, with that sort of background, coming in and seeing how we're abusing the chips and boards and interfaces in, in what we're doing. But they've so, so carefully designed. Yeah. And who else is joined? <laughs> We've also got Jay. Hello, everyone. Yeah. And Adam. Hello. I'm Frank, and we've got Jack. Hello. Always got Jack. Thankfully, we've got Jack. And also, don't forget, everyone, we are joined by our resident newbie. It's me, Nico. Hello. Ask lots of questions. We have someone very intelligent on. It's fine, <laughs> with a very nice voice. I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> 99% of what's going on. So, Chris, do you want to tell us a little bit about yeah. what you, you know, what you've been getting up to, getting back into the hobby, and what you've been doing recently? Yeah, I uh, well, first of all, uh, hi from southern, uh, southern sunny California. <laughs> I hate you already. Like where y'all are, but and I apologize for my funny accent. <laughs> it sounds really good. You can tell you belong on a podcast. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'm actually not as much of a newbie to the hobby as as it might sound, uh, but uh, I've kind of fallen in and out of it, maybe two or three times over the last few decades. And uh, when I first started with it, I was a, a young kid. And that was back when, and you probably guys probably don't remember this, but you know, our planes—you uh, could get planes that were on strings and they're gas-powered. Oh yeah. Kind of stand there spinning around until you got really sick, or until the gas ran out. Uh, that was kind of my first experience with it, and I didn't really get into RC until my brother did years later, and that was all gas-powered. But I was too young to be allowed to fly gas, um, so I eventually got an electric plane, and this was back. Oh God, how to be early '90s. And electric planes were just not very good <laughs> in the early 90s. Um, big, big battery, no power. So um, it was on like nickel metal hydride or NICAD or something. And then some yeah, yeah, big yeah, brush not, motors that did nothing, maybe with right. a gearbox as well. Yeah, and like a you know, two-meter wingspan because you needed that much lift. <laughs> <laughs> so I crashed that pretty immediately and, and kind of fell out of the hobby there. I got back really seriously into it probably about 12 years ago when electric was starting to take off as kind of a uh, more viable thing. Um, and yeah, I got a couple of planes and really started enjoying it and f- kind of fell back out of it because I got into work and really haven't paid any attention to it until late last year. Um, when I started fooling around with cheap quadcopters uh, and my brother eventually said he was going to get, you know, a racing quad and play around with that. And I said, well, maybe I should dip my toe back into this hobby and, and see what's going on. And I was just amazed at how much everything has changed. It's just ridiculous. 
it's kind of like uh, if you'd only seen a video game in the 80s, you know, Space Invaders or something, and then <laughs> fallen asleep for 20 or 30 years and somebody shows you Call of Duty, it's, it's kind of like, what's happening? <laughs> How is this Imagine all possible? Imagine the disappointment. Oh, no, they took away the gameplay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so I've, I've been getting back into it, flying fixed wing mostly, um, and, you know, just, just getting really excited about all the stuff you can kind of do with it, with, uh, you know, the telemetry and the sensors and the FPV aspect. Uh, it's, all, it's all really exciting and much more, you know, things exist that couldn't have existed even 10 years ago, and even then they're affordable now. So it's, it's really exciting on one hand. Um, God bless mobile have, phones. I did have a bad couple of weeks with flying, so <laughs> I haven't done much what, lately. What happened? Well, uh... Is there a good crash story involved? I think is what Adam is asking. Yeah, it's a crash story and its consequences. Uh, yeah, I, uh, uh, the, my main plane that I've been experimenting with is a Bixler 3 from Hobby King. Yep. And a uh, nice plane with a fair amount of, uh, fair amount of lift and, and storage space for electronics. So I've stuffed it full of all kinds of electronics and telemetry things because for some reason I just love getting data back from remote objects. It's... I don't do anything with it, but it just seems so cool to me that I just keep cramming more stuff in. Um, and this was the first time I was trying to fly at FPV. And we have a local park here, which has a lot of trees. And I, I think I can see some of the pieces <laughs> of the story coming together. <laughs> well, I got a little confused moving back and forth between the, the, the camera view and, you know, line of sight. And yep. I just lost it for a second. And wham, it was in top of a about a 35, 35 foot tree. Um, yeah, so... Fancy climbing? Uh, there was no way to get it. <laughs> Tried all sorts of things. And the upshot is I ended up severely injuring myself, attempting to get it down. <laughs> ended up going to the emergency room and... Well, that's, that's pretty severe. I mean, I've, I've, I've ripped a hoodie before, but I've never sent myself you know, to requiring medical attention. Well, see, I went on the internet and somebody said the best way to do this is to get a slingshot and yeah. fire a metal, metal weight over, over the plane with some okay. fishing line and pull it down. I have zero experience with slingshots. And uh, so I, I ended up firing it into my thumb. Wow. <laughs> Which did quite a bit of damage. Um, yeah, so that, that took me out of it for a couple of weeks. And then uh, we went back to get it back about a week ago and tried to tried all sorts of safer options. None of them worked. Uh, unfortunately, my wife got in with the trees and she ended up with poison oak. Oh, uh, no. So, <laughs> you poisoned your so wife. She really appreciates the hobby. So tell me, yeah. you're going back now with a train chainsaw because, you know, humanity has well, to beat nature. The, the very strange, funny thing is the next day, somebody showed up at my doorstep with my plane. Oh. Wow. They, they, they had been trying to get it down. They got it down, and I had my address and contact info all over it because the FAA wants you to. Yeah. And uh, they just, I, I was so flabbergasted that somebody had got it down and brought it to my house, and what? I didn't even know what to say to them. Oh. So, uh, Did you so, find out? So, drug registration, a good idea in the end. <laughs> yeah, for that one case. Although they didn't, they didn't use the database, which apparently isn't working yet. Uh, uh, to start investing in getting on. Plane recovery is a dangerous business, as we've uh, found out. <laughs> yeah, did yeah. you find out how they got it down? Did it just yeah, fall they, down in the end, or? No, it, they they had some. They had tried a bunch of things which were similar to what we were trying, uh, but I guess they ended up with a ladder and some very long poles, which I wasn't ah. 
wasn't really I mean, willing were to they try. disappointed when they found like a name and address <laughs> on it were they thinking i don't know I, 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 I did wonder maybe they just like the challenge you know I think yeah, they yeah. Did. any idea I think they wanted to know well, what it was it was a kind of a big just plane, travel you know? from place to place putting right what once went wrong yeah they're, they're I, like that. I like that sort of person Bobby. i think we need to get our getting down old like kites and things as well <laughs> like yeah dogs. <laughs> And this is another reason that multi roads are usually a better option because when they crash, it's easier to usually recover them than. Uh, well, and you can stop, right? That, that's yeah. the thing my, yeah. my brother was telling me. You, know, you get in trouble, you can just stop. <laughs> but exactly. with fixed wing floats, kind of like driving floats. down the freeway. It's not like you can I don't know, you know, but change your mind. If you get it into trouble. It depends whether you have more trust in the pilot or the equipment. Because, you know, if, if a multi rotor, the equipment starts failing, then it's, it's very failed. No glide sl slope. Yeah, exactly. That that old thing. Whereas if a fixed wing, you know, if, if it starts going a bit wrong, if it starts dying, then it, it'll at least glide down gradually, give you a bit of warning. But if you've got, you, you know, if it's the pilot error, then it's the other way around. Also, I, you know, you plow a multi-rotor into a tree and, you know, lose a prop, it will, it will fall down with some speed. And, uh, you know, the, the second impact might be the one that gets rid of it. Yeah. Last Saturday, I saw a Mitsuko go completely ballistic. It, I think it probably, it, it probably an issue with the item. It did too many flips in a second, and it just kept flipping in infinite roll rate, pretty much, by the looks of it. And it went about 100 miles an hour into the ground in the next field across next to a family having a picnic, which is a bit awkward. But yeah, it still just came away with a broken prop, which is, you know, that's nice when when you can trust that you're only going to walk over to, well, unless you have a fire, but, you know, if everything's not on fire, then you can just go over there and just change a prop and it'll be flying again. I, I was thinking more of the uh, larger commercial ones, though, which... Have shells and what have you. That's they get true. smashed up. They do. So, so Chris, um, I actually, ironically, uh, got into the tail end of the gas uh, engine, you know, the combustion engine, sort of when I got into the planes, because I was flying some electric planes and I liked it, but I, you know, I had to recharge my expensive batteries, which I had few of back in about well eight eight years ago or so, and I'd always have to charge the batteries up before I went flying. So I thought, well, at least with the gas or, or you know fuel i can just reload and put it back up in the air i still have that plane not finished and now considering <laughs> do i make it electric just to continue on and, and actually use it it's been about four years maybe half built crazy isn't it that and essentially now that it's catching up and with the batteries and the the um efficiency of all the setups with the electric it is the way forward but yeah also taking that further i think we can do a lot more with what we put the payload and whatever we put on to do whatever we want, sort of data acquisition and stuff like you were saying, getting the data back of whatever you do with it. So it's interesting how it's got to now. Where yeah, do you, you see the systems yeah, going? You... I was wondering also, do you have any goals for your own your own projects? Is yeah. there anything particular that you're working on? I mean, there's, there's obviously FPV just to have a look around and experience flying, but do you have any projects that you've got in mind? Well, it's kind of funny. Um... I do, but most of them are probably going to be illegal. Uh, so, <laughs> it's artistic. You know, I have, Just call it artistic. <laughs> yeah. uh, 
in my my original my original excitement about the hobby was from some very unrealistic expectations I had as a kid where uh, you know, I wanted to make a plane that could fly itself and then just come back to me and, you know, give me information about where it went without me interacting with it. So the whole autonomy part of it was really exciting to me as a kid, but it was totally impractical. And now it's not. Definitely so that, not. that part of it is really, really cool to me. And, you know, working from the ground up and kind of, and I know it's kind of ridiculous to do this because you can just buy the parts, but um, working from the ground up to try to replicate, you know, a flight controller um, some of the telemetry sensors, adding my own sensors for various things that, you know, they aren't selling, um, necessarily that that's kind of interesting to me. And I would love to make an actually autonomous vehicle, but it, it looks like that's not going to be something that you're allowed to do. <laughs> um, so I think, I think realistically what I'm going to end up doing is kind of, uh, experimenting with microcontrollers and, uh, and, uh, positions, you know, gyros and accelerometer sensors and, and just try to learn about, about how flight controllers work, uh, whether for quad, quadcopters or for fixed wing, um, because I think it's, a, it's an interesting area, uh, just, just, you know, intellectually, <laughs> not yeah. necessarily to solve any big problem, uh, just for my own fun yeah. and, and education. Um, well, the whole idea of a computer vision that's now accessible and to tinker with, to yeah. change not necessarily autonomously, but to recognize and do things on a data acquisition front is quite amazing. Yeah, and I think that's more interesting on the quadcopter kind of platform because you could actually, you know, you could set up courses indoors or set up uh, obstacles or particular uh, visually interesting waypoints and have it have it react to them. Um, so there, there's, some, there's some things there that I'm, I'm kind of interested uh, in looking at. See, I think we're quite lucky in the UK with that regulation and how it's imposed because it doesn't rule it out. And there's other countries in the world like Dubai where it's much more open to what you can do with these things. And I think America is risks stunting investment and, you know, R&D into different fields. And if they impose restriction on the en masse, apart from the, the selected few, I suppose, it's, um, it's a shame that the regulation stunts not only the enjoyment, but perhaps the development of these sort of things. Well, regulation here is not super friendly to autonomous modes, that kind of thing. No, it's, but it's still... It's generally accepted that people will go and learn how to do that in countries without much of a population. And as then long the as rules might be reviewed later. But as long as it's in uh, visual line of sight, there's no problem where you can. Uh, yeah, but the interest, I truly the interesting things about autonomous are surely when it starts going well beyond visual line of sight. That is true. There is that. Like for yeah, the you know for package delivering and all that sort of thing, or just data acquisition over a long term, you know, like a solar powered, long distance, just weather Ooh. drone. Yeah. yeah, that would have to be completely out of line of sight. But even with well, I mean, you get fur much further nowadays than you do on analog with some of the light bridge technology. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, exactly. It's easy to see a long way it's, out. It's and that's gonna, it. Yeah, that, that was one of the milestones for a while. But, but yeah, was... the rules are a little more, you know, they're not set by any one company. So no. the visual line of sight in the UK is set at 500 metres. That's just what the government say it is. And that's, you know, how it's staying for now. But I think, the you know, people will achieve things by not entirely following the rules, but by showing that you can ignore them. 
and it won't happen in densely populated areas at first. It'll be, you know, bands of people going out to experiment in deserts or whales or somewhere equally worthless. Well, I'm desperately <laughs> trying to find the video of the guy who had, I think it was an APM fixed wing, and he was flying it. So it, well, it was flying it in itself, uh, but he was sitting in the car, in the back of his car, following it along. Oh, I did see that. And so he, his aim was to get his plane to fly from one coast of America to the other autonomously. And I'm, I'm pretty sure he got pretty far yeah. just by it, it automatically landing and him replacing a battery every now and again. I'm just yeah. trying to find it. And I it can't. just shows how sillyly restrictive some of the, the regulation is at the moment. Well, What's... you know. He I think there's a place allowed for, to do that. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, I think there's a place for some of it. It's definitely, it's kind of funny because it's become definitely more of an issue with the existence of quadcopters. Um, yeah, you know, prior to that, it was pretty much. It's just pretty much do whatever you easy. want and use it's common sense easy for the idiots to get in. Yeah, I think. I think that's the problem. And you do need regulation uh, when you've got lots of idiots. It just seems a bit unfair on people who aren't idiots. The other way to experiment is to get a military contract. They've, um, the drones are entirely autonomous ones that can go off and find Russian submarines and Chinese submarines. That, that's, uh, have anyone <laughs> seen any of news about that? I have seen that appearing in various news feeds, but I haven't actually read up about it. Have you read into it then, or? Yeah, well, um, the, the basic design is, at the moment, the technology for finding submarines is sonar buoys, which, you know, just sit there until they die. Yeah. And that's basically what's been happening since World War II. And the idea with the drones was you'd just have a network of these very small autonomous drones, um, which are basically quadcopters that can fly to a location they're needed. They've got about one hour out of every 24 they can fly, and then they'll just sit on the surface of the water, monitor it, and uh, report back until the... You know, the, the idea is that they're so cheap that once the algae or whatever destroys them, another one will just fly into its place. And that, that they reckon they can charge it to give it an hour's worth just from um, a solar array on the top of a fairly small aircraft. That would be impressive. I've also yeah. seen autonomous uh, surface-based drones, like as in like little yeah. boats with That's sails that it sets That's itself. What I thought that would be until I saw this, you know, until I read about it. Yeah. Because uh, um, to me, I don't see what advantage being able to take off has other than being very cool. Obviously. It's actually uh, the other project I'm thinking of working on is, uh, is a little floating floating thing with maybe no directional power whatsoever, just solar panels and an iridium radio so it can talk wherever and, and just follow it along on GPS and take temperature readings or something. Yeah. Uh, but, but that's uh, another thing where things have gotten so cheap that you can actually piece that together for a few hundred dollars. What about those Arduino uh, satellites? You know, you get one of those Cube weather sets. balloons, yeah, send it up, you know, take readings, connect to, uh, uh, what is it, 3G via your phone and that. I've seen a couple of people working on that. Yeah, a lot of the problem now is not how do we do something, it's which one of these 15 million things we could do. <laughs> Do you choose? And yeah. I, I tend to get into trouble where I'm like, oh, I could do five different things. So I get 10% of the way in on five different things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think we're all like that. Otherwise, we'd be millionaires. Millionaires are the people who pick the one thing, <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, the commercially yeah. useful thing. 
and work on it until I get something. I mean, I, I can see at least four barely started projects from where I'm sitting right now. So, yeah, I think that's the way things go a lot. I'm doing really well on my main project, sleeping. Sleeping? <laughs> <laughs> so, Chris, you said, uh, or well, it was referred to earlier, you didn't necessarily say, but we've been abusing our microprocessors. And obviously you come from an embedded background, so is it frustrating to see how we've bundled along with these things and tried to integrate 32-bit, etc., with all that variety of things? Or where have we been going wrong? Well, I, I don't think there's necessarily places going wrong. It, it, it looks very much like uh, many other, uh, I guess, subclasses of, of embedded electronics in the hobby spaces, where you know, there's a few common types of microcontrollers that are being used, and they're they're plugged together in, in the same ways. And the software isn't necessarily great, but it, it does the job. Um, so I don't I don't think I wouldn't consider it abuse necessarily, unless your goals are different. <laughs> I mean, if you're, you know, if you're taking this stuff and you're putting it into a safety critical system, I'm going to give you a, a, a <laughs> funny look. But yeah. you know, for hobby stuff, this is all perfect as as far as I'm concerned because it's it's open enough that you can kind of figure out what's going on and learn. Uh, you know, like the FR Sky um, serial protocol for all the telemetry has been, been reverse engineered or is open enough that you can, you know, add stuff to it. Uh, so I, I'm actually, I know I'm, I'm pretty happy with the state of things and I think, I, I hope it continues to, I, I guess what I'd like to see more is more kind of uh, almost standardization of, of yeah. interconnects and things. Uh, and even more openness because I think, you know, I think some of the radio manufacturers still have a tendency to keep things close uh, to protect it's an their old RC style sort of mentality. Yeah, and I mean that's that, that's been a driving force for some of the technology I think and some of the applications in that it has been so fragmented um, across the board from the old KK boards and all the other different interfaces for playing all multi rotor, um, and actually travels now to my to another. Um, it's not so easy, and the equipment usually gets redundant, like you say, because there's no standardization so easily um, to transfer these things as it evolves. Yeah, I've piles so, of old receivers and things. <laughs> a lot of the people that I know, we are only exposed to GitHub by when we need to download firmware, and and we we struggle through and we work out how to do that bit, and that's about it, and. Mm. I imagine, given your background, you probably are able to go a bit deeper than that. I wonder if you have, and actually have a look at some of the code and see what's going on. I have, yeah. yeah I've, and I've is it any good? <laughs> <laughs> some of it is. Some of it is is what you would expect from, you know, somebody doing it as their night 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 you know <laughs> nighttime amusement. Um, uh, yeah, I've looked at. Uh, I've looked at a couple of flight controllers because uh, software, uh, because that that interests me from just a mathematical point of view. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's it's okay. It it's it's not what I would, a lot of it's not what I would consider professional software. But then again, it doesn't have to be. No. So, um, you know, I, I I tend to give a lot of leeway to things that aren't that aren't meant for anything but entertainment. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm pretty impressed by all the things that people are doing with their quads. Like yeah, it going, works, right? I mean, this going, stuff, this stuff works. 
going super fast, doing being able to do 12 flips a second or something, and then come out of it and carry on flying and whatever. And it's all the code for that has been written by a dis, you know a disparate group of people around the world working in their free time on one project or even many projects that have trickled down from one to the other from multi-wee to clean flight to beta flight to whatever and it still works most of the time some of the time at least yeah, so, yeah I mean, it's quite impressive I, I think it's awesome i think it's i think it's great and you know i don't mean to disparage anything it you know a lot of it uh, a lot of it probably is written by professional people in their spare time and it's professional quality um i haven't looked at everything obviously um but yeah, I mean, the mere fact that it works so well is a, is a testament to people who are doing really good good stuff. Yeah. Do you think you will be... Because I, I personally, I like to be able to contribute back, but I've tried to even just have a look and I haven't been able to work that out yet. And it's just been so much effort to try and even look into the codes that I haven't even got as far as that. So I just got put off of it. Do you think you're going to be looking into it and like contributing back? Is that something you think you'll be doing, or you know, it's the easiest way to get started? Because um, if you try to just pick off an entire project on your own, it's it's a lot easier to to give it up. Um, so I think, yeah, I think I might I might do that. That's that's kind of the best way to get to get into a community is to start contributing, you know, small little features and patches and things. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that does sound like. A pretty good plan, but I don't, I, you know, I, I don't know where to start with that. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, because like I've, I've done stuff with Arduino and Fortran and MATLAB and stuff that I could probably work my way around the code. It's the being able to deal with it on the like the community side of thing of how does that even work? I haven't even worked that out. I've tried briefly, but I haven't put a lot of effort into it. I have to admit. So maybe I'm making it a lot more difficult than it is. It, it it sounds more difficult than it usually is. Uh, GitHub kind of enforces the the mechanism for doing that, where you you know you put together. You have to learn how to use Git really well, which is kind of a horrible horrible thing. But once you do, you can, you kind of put your patch back in, and you put it in a request, and then somebody looks at it and they can decide whether to incorporate it in the project or not, uh, or they can just come back to you and say, yeah, could you fix these five things, and then we'll we'll put it in. <laughs> so so if you'd never used GitHub at all. What's it for? What's it do? I have to explain uh, source control. So, <laughs> so there's a concept in software development called source control. It's a place where to store as you work on a project, you is exactly it's a, it's a place to track and store different versions of software as time goes on. Um, so you can get back to earlier versions. You can see what's changed easily. And GitHub is just a place to do that on the internet as part of a big community. Uh, so you can put up your so, own. Yeah, no, no, I understand versioning. That okay. Actually, thank you, kids, in the background. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, sorry. <laughs> I'm, I no, I was trying to help the other listeners. Uh-huh. Um, it's it's like the the first choice, isn't it, for everyone? Yeah, it so is. It's become the first choice. There used to be there used to be SourceForge and a couple other places, but those have kind of become places in the city you don't want to go. Ah, <laughs> oh, they're, they're, they're the dark areas now. Um, Jack, I was reading that uh, most of the best code on GitHub is written by women these days. Jack um, is always interested in anything that is to do with women. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I like women. No, I know. No, I'm just, you know, keeping with the running joke, Jack. No, that's fine. And, of course, the convenient truth. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose with systems that are so open source, there's inherently a risk uh, of security and hijacking. You know, like, to be able to 
if it's that open source and we reverse engineer all these things, there's going to be more problems that present themselves going forward if there is no standardization or at least some level of um, collaboration amongst variants of it all. I think. Do you, do you mean like in the way that Clean Flight and Beta Flight have a million different? targets of all the different flight controller boards that exist and all the different ways that they're slightly different. Like, for example, well, even the Luminaire Lux, it was meant to be this close enough to the, Calib the TBS Calibri that they could share uh, a target. And then it was like, oh, but there's this slight hardware difference somewhere on the line that actually that doesn't work anymore, so they're two separate things now. So now Boris, presumably Boris and Dominic Clifton now have to work on keeping those as well as all the other ones that they've got to keep going, which is why things like the CT3D kind of get dropped occasionally. Uh, I was just going to say on like radio links and all sorts of stuff of it. Well, I think there's things like SBUS and stuff like that. They're pretty common across all things, aren't there? Like, what, what, what is there that I'm not thinking think, of? I was going to no. say that the security thing. The, the total mix of stuff, surely that makes it more secure because it's much hard, you know, like in the same way there are fewer viruses for Macs because they're obscure and there are lots of PC viruses. If you have well, lots of different things, then it's going to be much harder to hack into somebody's drone that passes by. In the old, you know, you used to have to just swap crystals and maybe someone could shoot the plane <laughs> down or anything like that. You know, exactly. It was easier to take control a long time ago, but the same problems exist where you have control over these aircraft. And maybe it's sabotaging a race, maybe it's just malicious, maybe it's just yeah. somebody having fun. There's no, you know, the, yeah. they're going to get... I guess it's easy to disrupt and hard to take control, I think, is my point. Well, indeed, indeed, but still. Yeah, to, to the larger point of open source and security, it goes both ways, I, I think. Um, open source advocates tend to tend to argue that the more eyes you have on something and the more open it is, the more secure it actually is because you're not hiding things <laughs> and people find problems and fix them. Uh, and I tend to agree with that, especially with projects with larger amounts of contributors. Um, on, on the radio side, that gets a little trickier, of course, because we're talking about physics and <laughs> spread spectrum and you know protocols and things that you know, if you want it to actually work, it has to be able to... <laughs> You can't you can't hide the plane from the uh, from the transmitter. So I've done that. <laughs> You've hidden the plane from the transmitter. Oh yeah, if you go behind a lot of trees, it yeah. doesn't work. Objects. Yeah, it's very. <laughs> yeah, you can hide it. Yeah, physics is always the problem, as you said. Yeah, but yeah, I yeah. don't think that's the ideal the ideal use case. Yeah. You know? No. security-wise, you can't hide everything behind trees. It doesn't work. Well, I don't know. Um, you know, a lot of government installations are hidden behind trees is or that buried like, under the ground. Is, is it to <laughs> yeah, stop, yeah. stop us taking control of their drones? That's right. I think that's a good idea. When I started to learn to fly planes, they always said, don't fly behind the trees. <laughs> I never wasn't allowed to fly behind the trees. And I suppose therein lies the problem. Or, people that get into this into hobby them. now... Yeah, well, well, the, yeah, that too. But people getting into the hobby don't have any sort of... Unless they have friends already in the hobby any sort of training before they can go out and fly. And it's evident when someone yeah. this week flew a Phantom 4 over the streets of London. Oh, no, not that Every single end. rule in the book. Um, and you know, the community at least did jump on and say, that's rubbish, take that video down, you'll ruin it for everyone, blah, 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 you're not allowed to fly there. The community at least posted all these things and it did get taken down, but I, I was suppose... I was stopped today by, um, you know, just 
one of those people who's seen drones and thinks they're cool, who just said, oh, did you see that video of London? It was awesome. Um, you know, and I, I was like, no, I, drove, I, I, didn't, I hadn't heard about it. Is it, what, straight up Regent Street? No. No, that's absolutely unacceptable. And but I the video it, was good. It was, yeah, it was an interesting video. That's yeah. what he was saying. He was saying, but it was really awesome. And surely these things are safe now, was it what he thought? Um, yeah. So it's really interesting that he wasn't having a panic about it, but actually us as a community were terrified of what was going to happen if it, if it stayed up there. Have there been any uh, prosecutions in uh, America for flying? <laughs> there was a guy who landed... Um, not sure if it was a phantom, but some similar quadcopter on a ledge uh, at a building in Manhattan. Yeah. Right. And he asked Empire the police State. to help him uh, get it down, and they arrested him. <laughs> yeah. That wasn't a great move on his part. No. He wasn't well, the story even that high up. I heard that from, like, behind, the, behind the headlines about that one was that he, it was like a nano QX type size thing. And he had asked the, you know, gone inside, asked them, can I fly it? And they had said, yep, sure, that's no problem. Hmm. And then he'd, so he had then gone and flown it. And so it had got stuck somewhere. So he'd gone inside and asked, can we, can I, can I get it back? It's got stuck up there. And they changed their mind at that point. Is, there was is, another guy too who, uh, crashed a drone in one of the hot springs in Yellowstone Park. Yeah. That's probably... Yeah, it's a bad, bad form. Beyond that, there's been lots of reports of near misses with planes. Um, some of them I'm quite skeptical of, but some of them are probably quite real. That's, there's also been... And of course, that's hard to track those people down. Yeah. A very, very expensive civil action. Um, I, yeah, I, don't, you know, I don't know about police prosecution, but to be honest, if you get fined $1.4 million as the people of Skypixel, was it? Sky? No, not Skypixel. Um, anyway, we had some people in the first edition of my book on, on drones um, that I thought were, did these amazing shots over Manhattan. And I assumed, because they told me, that it was all perfectly legit. But they got sued and lost by the FAA for 1.4 million. So we had to quickly redo it for the next printing. So we didn't feature them which was quite, quite annoying. That's a bit awkward. Yeah, it was a it SEMA was. quad, says White Spy. Was it what, sorry? Uh, the quad that crashed into the Empire State Building was a, a SEMA. S-Y-M-A. Not, not a Phantom. <laughs> that is. Oh, okay. No, it wasn't a Phantom. It was just, you know, like the SEMA quad. Um, uh, Ivy Crazy's got one of them. He plays with his dog with it, and the dog catches it out of the air. Pretty harmless. I'm sure a plastic well. spoon's more deadly. Well, what if <laughs> the uh, prop's getting Jack. near his eyes? That's Dog what toy. I say. It spins so slowly, honestly. <laughs> it's just held in They're the air. They're geared as well, aren't they? Husband. Yeah. I'm it's... sure I can hurt myself with it. You can hurt yourself with a tree. <laughs> exactly. So, and a slingshot. That, that's a valid thing to hurt yourself with. But... So what do you think um, the next sort of uh, step will be in, in the code uh, for aircraft in general, Chris? Um, more accurate and higher capability uh, gyros being being used, I think, and definitely starting to incorporate imagery. I, you know, uh, DJI's got their object avoidance thing, which, you know, is, I don't know how good it is, but, you know, it's interesting. They're incorporating cameras in different ways to, uh, to avoid obstacles and to improve 
uh, improve tracking over ground. So that's something that I think the hobby should start playing around with because it's it's totally yeah. doable. Um, is that, so is I that think, true? Because uh, it always feels so sort of impressive and commercial. Like it feels like it would need an army of people to, to do the code to do something like that. Well, the army's than... already the army's already kind of done it, and there's a lot of open <laughs> open projects that that support it. OpenCV is is a big code project that gives you the building blocks to uh, do a lot of machine vision kinds of things. And yeah, you know, it's not going to be overnight. It's drones, is it? I mean, there's been the Raspberry Pi. There's been the right. other. Yeah. Sort of Better boards. So, has anyone got a Raspberry Pi project yet, or is it all on Arduino? No, no you can get well, you can get a plug-in board for the Raspberry Pi Navio Two. I think they're up to now. You plug it onto your Raspberry Pi, and it makes it a fully autonomous uh, flight capable. Someone, someone did a demonstration of it in front of a load of class, and uh, the ESC caught on fire very badly. That's <laughs> the last I heard that, of it. Jack, your cards rule of not being on fire. Yeah, don't break. Oh, it just I... opens it up for another audience, and that's a wonderful thing, I think. So, Jack, that's is that fine. is that a story of, of someone you know having an ESC code? No, no, fire? I didn't. Yeah, it's a class in, it looks like America, only for, you know, in the ESC. Just lovely, on fire. If I find it, I will add it to the show notes, but <laughs> it's just uh, what, I think it was titled, like, what not to do during a quad demonstration or something how many esc fires have you had jack now um, count yet? well i had one on the first day of shooting on let's drone out youtube so ed's got that i replaced um uh you know the quad that um bruce simpson uh rc model reviews uh was working you know flying and testing i replaced in the end i had to replace all three arms of that quad, and one of them did catch on fire during an ESE calibration. Um, <laughs> during a calibration? Yeah, pretty good. Wow, that's yeah. impressive. Yeah, I know. I, I don't know how I managed that. Um, and then yeah, the the tricopter has had an ESC fire. Uh, the ZMR back in the day has had about four ESC fires before I gave up on the KISS 18 amps. Frank knows all about that. I nearly burnt down his venue. <laughs> That was great. In a... yeah. Is, yeah. is anyone else trying to work out if Jack is sad about fires or there's some sort of arsonist going in there? Well, I can honestly say I've never had an ESC fire touch. You know, exactly. Yeah, Jack, has a lot, Jack has a lot of fire stories. I'd, I'd, I'd fried them, but not fire. I, yeah, I mean, I'd much prefer an ESC fire <laughs> to a LiPo fire. Yeah. yeah. I had a, yeah. I had a motor fire. I haven't had one of those. A motor like, fire. How do you have a motor fire? Uh, I was fly. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> my old planes that I upgraded to LiPo uh, was a Zaggy, and I was running the standard 400 speed 400 motor on it, and uh, flying it, and it was a good flight. And then suddenly I had to dead stick it in, had no power, and when I went went and got it. The motor was on fire. Wow! <laughs> oh my god! With the um, with the gas, the old gas aircraft, were there any explosions? Oh, I don't that, think the fuel was the really. An, I don't think it was really an explosive kind of fuel. Uh, yeah, it was super high compression, more like diesel. Um, the only times you ever see the explosions are usually on the jets, and that's just because of the speed of the impact, isn't it? Is it the nitromethane fuel like you have for the cars that worked on the on the planes? Yeah, I, it was the same. Yeah, because yeah. I, I I made a pulse jet out of a glass jar and a bucket of water with one of them before. With, with, Glass. With some Are you mental? Fuel. Yeah. 
<laughs> so it was only driving it downwards, but it was still, it was a pulse jet, so it's fine. It was, you know, made a lot of noise. What could what? possibly go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was that kid who built a, or managed to achieve nuclear fission in his school the other, the other year. Did you ever read about that? Yeah. That he got close enough that the FBI went in and were like, no, no we're taking no, no, all no. this it was away. It was in the UK. It was in some posh private. Oh, a the different kid, they, one. You know, they, they helped him Someone out. Someone else. Yeah. yeah, no, not not some little Sheldon character who was trying to, you know, destroy his neighbours with an X-ray or something. No, it was, uh, you know, he was... He was a, an excellent student and was being encouraged to uh, have himself. a reaction, which is, seems a little unnerving. Yeah, and then you've got a boy who brings in a clock, and then all of a sudden he's a terrorist. <laughs> yeah. great. Oh, no, don't worry. This, this boy was white and quite posh, so, you know, so it's not fine. a terrorist. Yeah, yeah great. What, what, do you th- Chris, what do you think of the SPI bus? Uh, it's a wonderful bus. <laughs> I use it all the time. I don't know how to answer that question. Better or worse than a number ninety-three? Sorry. ICT. <laughs> Which do you prefer? Uh, it's definitely SPI. Uh, preferred over I squared C most of the time. Oh, look at him! Uh, Can you translate, please, with your with your knowledge? No, no, I'm not even going to bother. I'm just going to embarrass myself. Oh. You do it. <laughs> I don't know. I am. I, these are all different words that I don't know. You've got at least some experience. Uh, well, um, what is SPI? Is a, a, is a one-wire bus protocol that pulls the information. Sort of. Yeah, yeah in a way. <laughs> and then, what, explain IC squared. Uh, it's very similar, uh, except the advantage of uh, I squared C is that it, has, uh, it doesn't have a chip select. So for, for SPI, you have to have a chip select line that goes to every device. So you can tell it, okay, I'm talking to you. Um, for I squared C, you have an address and you can address them on the wire and say, okay, I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you. And it saves that a, lot takes of, longer. a lot of wires. <laughs> but yeah. it's more complicated. And with both of them, everybody's device implements it just slightly differently. Um, Depending so it's on a standard what with, you're using. You know, with some variations, and the variations tend to be difficult to debug if they're not working right. Hmm. So yeah, and now that now that I've actually looked into it very briefly, now I do recognise it because I have used it on some Arduino projects. But basically, I've only ever learned anything about them. The minimum of I have had to know to be able to write some bit of code to make a chip work to then put it away and forget everything. So I'm, right. I'm very bad and don't learn these things. Maybe I'm, I should. I'm, I'm dyslexic. I just can't. So you YouTube everything. I just yeah. I'm just like when I start looking at code, I'm like, you know, oh, I can barely spell. <laughs> you know, that's on fire. I can fix that. <laughs> but when it comes to I oh, just Boris, yeah, filters. Uh, I, don't, I I just don't understand. I mean, poor Bradders. Bradders trying to explain things to me from the improvements of. Um, of uh, actually, I might do a podcast of that where Dan's dyslexic, I'm dyslexic, and then Bradders doesn't understand a word that Boris says, and then we all try and explain things together <laughs> on yeah. how beta flight works. You probably works. need somebody in between you um, before the chaos rains on. Yeah, I'm amazed you managed to put out all those fires you start. Yeah, I know. That's it. Well, by the time we got there, they were already out in Whitechapel. Yeah, yeah, it did stink to high heaven. 
Yeah. Sorry. So, I don't know. Uh, Does anyone watch the Hidden Britain by Drone with, oh, with yeah. Baltry, what oh, drones? <laughs> no, but my TiVo has watched it and I will watch it later, you know, or it'll tell me what it thought. You, uh, you watched did. it with me, didn't you, Nico? I, I was impressed yeah. with some of the footage, but they had large machines to go everywhere, so... And, yeah, but know. it's still nice to watch sometimes. So, did, yeah, they need to grade some of their footage, that's all I'll say. Was it, was it just me, or did some of it look like you didn't need a drone? Yeah, Yeah. well, no, a lot of it was shot without a drone. And, yeah, some of it didn't really need a drone. They well, were just on a show it. called, like, Britain by Drone, a lot of it was shot from the land. And also, why do you yeah. need Baldrick? Well, it's not just have cool, cool pictures. It's because it's Channel 4 and it's in your field, so, you know. So you have to have Baldrick. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. Sorry, not Baldrick. It's a positive image Tony for Robinson. some of these drones, now though. And, then the and I suppose we're lucky that there is some positive show. Are there, yeah. I mean, US side, is there any shows that are... Is this Baldrick of I Have a Cunning Plan? Yes. Exactly. Um, exactly. In real life, he's called Tony Robinson, and these days now he does this architectural show in the UK. Architect, ar- ar- archaeology. archaeology. He, like, he takes the Indiana Jones out of archaeology and makes it some boring people digging near a village for Roman coins, that kind of thing. Drinking cider. Or <laughs> flying drones, apparently. But, yeah, but now flying drones. So that's, uh, yeah, him. Yeah. You've got, uh, well, Mythbusters obviously had a lot of drones flying, but yeah, the, are there any other big shows yeah, out they, in America they, they, that have obvious drone usage? Maybe in terms of just getting footage, but uh, there's not a lot of, not a lot of kind of technological, technolo- technology interesting TV shows these days. Um, maybe somebody else has some suggestions, but. Uh, You've got uh, yeah. Yeah. podcasts, uh, particularly. I've I've been listening through the backlog of catalogue on on your podcast, and yeah. definitely the the Simone Yerch and the Sarah <laughs> Peckers one, those are very nice and easy to to get into it. Um, those were very interesting ones, and I would highly recommend everyone go and wait and listen to them. Um, I want to marry Jack. You need to you need to go to listen to both of those two. Yeah, I know you like Simone Yerch already, but also I listen just... to Sarah Peckers's one because. That is also very much up your street. Simone, yeah, we'll just do. link me. Did you just... say you had a question, Chris? I did in the last yeah, remaining okay. moments. We like getting wanted... questions. Yeah. <laughs> if I wanted to get into quads, which I'm not really into right now, uh-huh. what should I get? How should I start? What did you want to do, though? Just race or have aerial photography or more capable flight or race? Um, a little bit do-it-yourself, and I don't really care about speed that much. I would, I mean, whatever you do, I would recommend getting something small like a Hubson X4 first. Just Actually, so you, know, you know what? Sorry, I'd say you'd probably be better off with something like a Pixhawk because they are ultra configurable. Oh, yeah. And 32 bit, the newer ones, so the good architecture. Definitely and for your ability of coding side, you want a Pixhawk. It's the APM. Yeah. Yeah, APM. It's, it's a good, good established. Um, software package and fantastic support, you know, with the the online so the their website's great. Definitely the community. Uh, Pix drones, soon. But while you're building that one, practice flying with a Hubson X4 first because it's about <laughs> twenty pounds, and you can learn all the throttle control and orientation and all of those skills. Have you so, flown any helis or anything? Chris? I've flown some very very cheap quads and. Uh, some, and one very very small heli, so 
Yeah, I, I if if I live in America, I'd get a Blade Nano QX or something like that. You know, the one with the the goggles, so then you can kind of play around. Buy something from uh, White Spy. He's got kits. All right. Yeah, he's he's American. <laughs> it has wow. been a pleasure Two having Americans. you on, Chris. Ah, oh, thanks. It's been it's been fun talking that. to you guys. Yeah, it's, thank it's you. It's been great. Sorry if we've been a bit all over the place. <laughs> That's quite all right. <laughs> yeah, thank you for bearing with us, and yeah. It's yep. been interesting to hear a different side of things. Yep, no worries. All right. And good luck. Yeah, yeah. Easy. yeah we look forward much. to hearing about what you managed to get Apex Hawk to do. So if, yeah, if people want to yeah. follow your work or anything, or do you put anything up on the online of what you're working on? Is there any way people can find your stuff? Um, so we have the embedded.fm blog, which is where I will put stuff if I, if I get around to putting things up. Um, cool. That's at embedded.fm. And, you know, I always talk about stuff on the podcast, too. And I'm Stony Monster on Twitter, if anybody cares. Ah, well, no, I mean, it's... I I think there's, uh, you know, people going back towards playing this now. So it'd be interesting to hear your perspective of how you've got your uh, fix through. No, there are a lot of of quad people who, you know, coming to planes that way rather than... like, uh, Like digital photographers turning to film. It's good to get someone who's come from it from a different angle. You know, or a different experience and different knowledge of different systems. Yeah. Well, I'm actually, yeah, like I said, uh, finding out how much everything has changed has been really impressive. So. Right, we got to go, guys. No worries, thank you. You've been listening to Let's Drone Out. Tune in every week from 8 till 9, GMT, on the Thursday night show. Bye. Tally-ho. Telemetry lost.